1: Hi, guys. It's Jones. Looking forward to another edition of the Carolina Insider. Man, we've got a really big and good show coming up for you in just a moment. We're going to look back to the Maui Invitational in Asheville. Look ahead to the football matchup with Western Carolina. Terrific interview with Ed Davis, former Tar Heel basketball player as well. All of that coming up, and we're brought to you in part by the Rams Club. If you're looking for a gift for the Tar Heel in your life, you can give the gift of membership with a Carolina Kids Club, Student Rams Club, or Rams Club membership this holiday season. Memberships start at just $25, and your membership makes an impact on the student athletes you cheer for on the field, on the court, and in competition. You can visit ramsclub.com slash gift for more information. All right, let's get to it in the latest edition of the Carolina Insider. From Pod World Headquarters, this is the Carolina Insider from Learfield IMG College. We're back. Time for another edition of the Carolina Insider. Jones and Adam here with you. And it feels as though, Adam, it has been weeks and weeks and weeks since we have had a quote-unquote normal pod so glad to be back, especially with the opportunity to tell you that it's Friday.
0: It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend. And partying, partying. Partying, partying. Fun, 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 fun. Looking forward to the weekend.
1: Adam, we've got a big one big show robust we will recap the Tar Heels in Asheville Tariels fall in the championship game of the event I think show well in total but fall short against Texas in the championship game we'll talk about the Asheville experience for Carolina basketball We will preview the matchup with Western Carolina. Senior day for the Tar Heels. Look forward to sending off some seniors, hopefully in the right way. We have, I mean, honestly, like a week and a half of list items built up. So you can only imagine the size of Adam's list. And... Great interview with Ed Davis, former Ontario member of the 2009 National Championship team and been in the NBA for a decade now. Talk a lot to Ed about that about his time in the pros, time at Carolina, etc. So, I think an on, Ontario you don't hear from a lot, Adam, Ed Davis and I hope people enjoy it. I think they will.
3: I think you don't hear from him because he's been in the cryogenic chamber.
1: Yeah. Ed Davis looks like he is still 19 years old. I don't know how, but he looks exactly the same as when I last saw him playing for the Tar Heels.
3: When he walked in, I was expecting him to look somewhat grizzled. And instead he looked like he was here to do like his interview before his freshman season.
1: Yeah. Where he'd be like, well, I'm just hoping to contribute to the team this year. Can't wait to see that
3: Jersey with my name on it.
1: (laughs) So I think you'll enjoy hearing from Ed. He's got some, uh, some actually really insightful stuff to talk about, especially about his time in the NBA. I think that's really interesting about how he has been able to be in the league and be successful for so long, so you hear all of that coming up. I think you'll enjoy it. Adam, let's go back in your mind to Asheville.
3: Let me put on my parka.
1: It was cold. Yeah, the Maui Invitational, it was snowing. Come on. So, Adam and I were there. We were tier three. They had the press, or they had people not playing tiered one, two, or three. Not surprisingly, Adam and I were tier three, yet they for some reason, seated us in a tier one location, and let me tell you, this caused some confusion.
3: It was hard to tell if people were impressed by us or <laughs> terrified yeah. by us.
1: Like, oh boy, they have a tier three badge. How have they come here to tier one? We had our own personal yeah. escort every single day. That Adam, someone's job... <laughs> During the Tario games was to sit there and make sure we didn't get out of line. And we're on this is honestly the truth. Their whole purpose for being there during the Tario game was to make sure Adam didn't go rogue and like go to the bathroom.
3: <laughs> there was one day, I think it was Tuesday, I had to make a phone call. And I didn't want to make a phone call while sitting right there because we were about to go on the air. And but but I couldn't leave the platform.
1: Yeah. And the platform was, what, like eight by eight? <laughs> yeah. It was like we were with Tom Hanks and the volleyball. <laughs> it was like we were just off on a little raft, and we couldn't get off the raft or the we would die.
3: I felt like I had like, gone to college in New York City. And it was I was in my first studio apartment. And I'm like, over here is where I do all my work. And then when I go over here two feet, that's where I make my phone call. Yeah. Over there is my kitchen. That's my bottled water. <laughs> I'm going to go back to my workspace now. We had three different uh, escorts. Yeah. All did a solid job.
1: Yeah, they did. They were all very nice. I kind of felt bad that they were there just to help us out. Well, but... Although... I- I enjoyed all three. Our guy, Chris, on day one. Yeah. I feel like we had a special relationship. Chris, possible doppelganger for a, a young Montrose. He does. He he looked like he could be a Montrose family member.
3: And had the congeniality yes, to, to that's fit right. in as well. He
1: had the pleasantness to go with it. Yeah. But. He was tall. I mean, he was several inches taller than me. And, and I'm slightly
3: like, taller than me.
1: Yeah. And I'm like six. I mean, I'm six two or six three. Yeah. And he was definitely taller than me. I used to say I was six three or six four, but I think time's taking a toll.
3: <laughs> I used to say I was six three or six four, too. Um, but then they started polygraphing. Um, the whole setup in Asheville, and at some point we'll talk about the basketball, but it won't be anytime soon, was they were sticklers. Oh yeah. Don't you try to enter that building without filling out your extensive four-question survey about whether you're feeling sickly.
1: Well, and I'm all for staying safe and people being mindful of course of the virus and trying to do things in the right way. But like if I if I have to fill out answers to questions like are you quarantining currently? Like I'm probably not coming to the game if I have been like diagnosed with right. COVID. Like that's one of the questions. It's like, have you been diagnosed? Well, no. Cuz if I was, I wouldn't be coming.
3: I am quarantining other than when I come to the Harris <laughs> Cherokee Center for this <laughs> basketball game. Yes.
1: That's right. I am Clearly sick and highly contagious and would be doing a great disservice to myself and others, but I would like to come see Stanford versus Davidson, please.
3: (laughs) I didn't realize the upheaval that was going to follow us trying to get into the arena on that very first day.
1: Yeah. There were two women named Debbie who were both trying to help us. And they were rivals, as we later found out. (laughs) They totally were. (laughs) They were rivals. The Debbies... The Debbies did not like each other. The first day- that's, I mean, we that that's not confirmed. That's just oh. Adam and that's just Adam and we're we're just using our our context clues. Yeah, it's confirmed. N- neither Debbie said something negative about the other Debbie to us. You sure about that? Technically, <laughs> but we feel as though there was a little tension between the Debbies. A little Debbie tension. It turned my whole little Debbie tension. <laughs>
3: It turned my whole day upside down on Monday because I erroneously assumed the two Debbies were friends. No, yeah. <laughs> Didn't you when we were checking in? I was like, oh, these nice ladies are sitting at the same table and they're probably friends and they go out in Nashville yeah. and look at the leaves and the gingerbread houses at the Grove Park. But what? I, by Tuesday, I had a very clear understanding that they were rivals and the Debbies had to be separated. On Monday, they were yeah. at the same table. By Tuesday, Debbie 2 had been moved out in the hall.
1: Yeah. It, Debbie v. Debbie was an electric rivalry for us every single day, just coming in. Um, I do think you have to credit the event for making it happen, at least as far as we know, no issues with covid from the teams or anybody involved, of course, that could still occur. We understand what the situation is, but it seemed like everybody did a pretty good job um, with staying as safe as possible and no fans there. So it was a, a weird atmosphere. And I do think, Adam, I I don't think you really notice the fact that there aren't fans there for one of these neutral site type of games, other than you can really hear the benches. You can really hear the coaches um, I do think, and we'll, I think we'll experience this more when you get into conference play, is that you you do lose that home court advantage. So, I mean, I think we saw it with Duke and Michigan State. I think you, you've seen it. You know, Georgia Tech's lost twice at home against smaller schools that, you know, I'm not saying Georgia Tech's like this hive of a place to walk into, but I, I do think you lose that part of it if you are at a place where you have a big advantage,
3: everyone under, other than Archie Miller thought the event was run very well.
1: Yeah. Archie Miller wasn't happy with things.
3: I, we only have one Tar Hill home game to base this on. So I reserve the right to change my mind, but right this second, I feel like you lose more in basketball, not having fans than you do in football. Well,
1: I, I mean, I don't know if you agree with this or not. I think home court matters in college basketball more than any other sport professional, more than college football. I think the home court in college basketball makes the biggest difference. Um, I think that's, I mean, that's in addition to just having great teams, that's why it's so hard to win at places like Duke and Carolina and Kansas and Kentucky. These are places with great home atmospheres. And in addition to having really good teams, they're hard to go win at their place because of the atmosphere that you're walking into. I think that's partially
3: because of where we are
1: like, uh, I, I, also I, probably true. I
3: think we probably regularly see five of the top 15 home courts that there are
1: and maybe more than that. Well, and just in our travels with the Tar I mean, I Michigan, Illinois. I mean, those are some places. Carolina has been Indiana, Gonzaga, Gonzaga where, I mean, I, I think the atmosphere, I'm not saying they, the Tar Heels either won or lost because of that atmosphere but i think it played a role in those games so it's different than going to UC Davis or something absolutely um but
3: yeah I, th- I think that's right and i'll be interested to see how that progresses and i i still i know this is kind of a weird fascination i'm so fascinated by the places that are deciding to let people in and the places that aren't and will we see any difference in what it's like to play there because for example Georgia Tech, whatever, they're doing, 1,500 or whatever. Will that seem like a lot because we're not used to it, or will it be kind of sad? Because I think it could be either one. Yeah. And and what happens if 1,000 Carolina fans show up in Atlanta, which could also happen? So I, I think, as with just pretty much every other detail, there's a lot unknown about this season.
1: And I'm about the Tar Heels themselves. I know people are disappointed with losing to the, almost, the, I, I think, over the top level of anger that the Tar Heels lost to Texas. I thought it was a good showing for Carolina in the event. They played three teams, three name value teams, two of them power five teams. I don't think UNLV is very good this year, but it's still UNLV. I thought the win over Stanford was a solid win. I thought Stanford played its best that I saw them play in the games in Asheville. I thought they played their best against the Tar Heels. Um, And I think you get something out of the Texas game where Carolina was bad for a stretch there in the first half. And Texas, which is an old team, a talented team, took advantage of that as you would expect. I think it was very encouraging that you go into the locker room, and Carolina did not come out of the halftime locker room until about two minutes, about as late as I've ever seen them. And I'm guessing Coach Williams was unhappy with the, um, the way they played in the first half. They came out in the second half and looked much more like a Carolina basketball team. Were there still things that went wrong? Yes. Yes. Do they still have two freshman guards playing a large majority of the time against a senior and a junior for Texas who are good you know, all-conference players and took advantage of that experience matchup? Yes. But I think a lot of encouraging things happened. And as you and I have said, Carolina is not what we know for a fact. They're not going to go undefeated, and they're going to lose some more. And that's not a negative statement about Carolina. It's just the Tar Heels – play a really hard schedule. And Adam, I think you're going to, you know, Kentucky's one and two right now. You know why? Because they're relying on a lot of freshmen and they're playing a hard schedule. Duke's lost. They're relying on a lot of freshmen and they, well, they've played at least one difficult team in Michigan State. This year, more than ever, if you're having to rely on some young players, which the best teams in college basketball often have to do, you're going to take some lumps right now. But if Carolina plays Texas again in March, Adam, I'll that's okay. Let's go. I I just to me, it was an overall positive experience from Carolina that now they can go. Look at all this, look at all this content that we have now for you to look at, Tar Heel team, to digest, to learn from, and let's go forward.
3: And no matter what good kids your freshmen are, or no matter how much they listen to the coach, it's one thing for Roy Williams to tell, for example, Caleb Love something in October, Caleb, you can't win in college basketball doing this. And it's a totally different thing for Roy Williams to go in the film room with Caleb Love on Thursday after losing to Texas on Wednesday and say, Caleb, you can't win in college basketball doing this and point to what happened in the game. That. It's not that Caleb Love wasn't listening to Roy Williams. It's just that he's been playing basketball for 19 years now and he's been doing it his way. Well, Roy Williams has some suggestions for him, I'm guessing, and everyone else on the team. And now you can make those suggestions with the context of what you did didn't work. I think you can get as mad as some people seem to be about the loss to Texas if you see absolutely no improvement in any of those areas at Iowa next week. Because now you've got hopefully a couple days of practice before you go to Iowa against an even better team than Texas by all accounts. And that is going to be a challenge. But I, I think one thing we learned in Nashville is this Carolina team doesn't really mind a challenge because they put themselves in some bad spots from time to time and they fought back. And I think that that's a big, big positive. And I don't want this to sound condescending But I think that the level of excitement that Texas had over winning the Maui Invitational was higher than the level of excitement Carolina would have had about winning the Maui Invitational. And that's not to say Carolina didn't want to win. But Carolina's trying to figure out what February and March Carolina looks like. And that might be at the expense of winning the Maui Invitational.
1: It really, it Texas was, a, was there to win the Maui invitation. It was a jubilant celebration for Texas. And again, I, I agree with you. I'm not trying to say, like, or sound sour or, be like, oh, I can't believe they thought that was a big deal. I agree with you, and I did. I mean, you and I talked about it. I I said something on the air about it in postgame. I thought it was a surprisingly big celebration for what they did.
3: When there was a story in The Athletic about it, and somebody from Texas said something to the effect of that that – Texas name will be on that Maui invitational banner forever. Cool. Yeah, that's right. Good job. Yeah. I mean, you played a great game. You've got a very experienced, good team with good coaches and some weird dudes on the bench yeah. who don't play. But, I, and I just, you won't convince me that although both sides wanted to win, the same exact goal was trying to be achieved on those three days in Asheville. And I feel like you do. If Carolina plays Texas again in March, under the assumption that you've got to play good teams sometime, I would feel comfortable with the idea that Carolina will improve enough between now and then to make that a game that I, I feel okay about. And I know people are totally freaked out about losing to Texas all the time. Some of those Texas teams are good. Yeah, and and, and they're all in November and yeah, December, uh, with except exception of one.
1: Yeah, that that's what I was going to say was the timing of when they play one another. I do think is a plays a role there, and I do think also, Adam, people are still spooked from a season ago yes. with Carolina, and I'm just I. I'm not I'm not going to state claim here that the Tar Heels are going to the final four winning the national championship. But Carolina is better than it was last year. And if you I mean I I think you can see it right now compared to like when the Tar Heels left the Bahamas last year. Even though I think the record is pretty similar. I, Carolina played a few more games last year just because of the the COVID schedule that we're currently in. But if you can't see that this team is in a better place than I don't know I I don't know what to tell you. Well, and
3: I know the shooting results are not good.
1: Well, and that is I I think I was going to mention that. So, I think two things that you leave here going is Tariel's got to find a little more balance offensively. They made just one three-pointer in the game against Texas and still almost won the game. They did not shoot well from the free throw line, 18 of 32. Partic- I mean, particularly in the first half, Carolina really struggled at the line, 5 of 13, and every one of those points would have been big. We, Yes, they need to shoot better at the line. Yes, they practice free throws. Yes, they're good shooters. They did not shoot well in this game. And they've got to cut the turnovers down. But I think it's again worth mentioning that the Tariels have two true freshmen starting in their backcourt. And... A lot of the reserves that come in are also freshmen in the backcourt. And so you're going to have these mistakes right now. Tariels haven't had this since 2006 when they started Bobby Fraser and Marcus Ginyard as freshmen. The last time two freshmen started in the backcourt was 07, and that was at the end of the year. And it was Ty Lawson and Wayne Ellington who, hello, are great basketball players. So it, it's okay it's okay (laughs) there were some mistakes but every everything's all right Adam chill out well
3: I understand last year's team was historically bad shooting the ball and that the opening results this year make you nervous because you just watched last year's team but we've both been to practice this team can shoot I can't Remember Roy Williams saying that as confidently last year as he did this year? Right. Because he knew it wasn't true. And I think the biggest factor with this year is there's so many more options who can shoot the ball and the minutes are being relatively equally distributed right now. But as the season progresses, the players who shoot it better are going to play more and the percentages are going to go up because the players who are shooting it worse are playing less. That, that is going to naturally happen, and I, I don't understand how you could watch those three games and not be incredibly encouraged by Carolina's play in the post, where you've got Garrison Brooks, who somehow finds a way to score 15 every night and does everything right, and gets hurt and just keeps playing. Dayron Sharp, who anytime he gets his hands on the ball, he gets it. We didn't talk about that as much this week, but... You don't you don't see him bat the ball out of bounds. He bats it and grabs
1: it. And you throw it to him and he catches it. I he- will say this for Daron Sharp. He is already demanding a lot of attention in the post from the defense. And I think he showed the ability to pass it at a pretty high level at times in Asheville. I think as he gets more comfortable with millions of bodies flying at him when he gets the ball he will be able to be more effective offensively as far as putting the ball in the basket as well but I mean the UNLV game he'd catch it and all of a sudden there'd be like four dudes on him and so yes a learning curve but the pieces are there for sure
3: and like basically everyone else on this team he plays hard all the time all the time Armando Baycott, I thought, was more consistent in these first four games than he maybe any four games that stretched last year.
1: I was going to say, I think he's sneakily had one of the best starts to the season for Carolina. He is getting the ball in good positions and going aggressively to the basket. For the most part, he's made his free throws. I know he missed a pair in the first half um, against uh, Texas, but then he came back and was 4-5, or five, I think, in the second half or something similar. So, he is being efficient. He is rebounding at a high level. He's blocking some shots. And I think it's a combination, Adam, of two things that you and I have talked about. One, he's just a year older and better. And two, he he's being pushed because there's more competition on this roster. And he knows he has to play at a higher level to play. And so, I, I think he has had a terrific start to the season for the Heels.
3: And he doesn't have to play 30-plus minutes. Also true. What did yeah. he play against Texas? 25? Yeah. Because – you've got De'Ron Sharp and the other one we haven't talked about yet is Walker Kessler who I think looks the most like a quote-unquote normal freshman in terms of the inconsistency but the most unlike a freshman in the way that he affects the game every time he steps on the court whether he's having a good day or a bad day because of how darn big he is yeah you other teams don't have that
1: no even I think you and I had said something off the air before the Texas game when the two teams were out going through warmups. and Texas has a big team and we were saying like look how big <laughs> Walker Ke- I mean even compared to Dayron Sharp and Armando Baycott and Garrison Brooks who are big guys I mean Kessler's a good two inches three inches taller than those I mean he is just so tall long with his arms the wingspans long the heights huh? I mean all of it and so, yes, he there was a play, what was it, UNLV, I think, where the Rebels had run a good play and they tried an alley-oop and Kessler wasn't quite in the right spot getting back to defend it, but he just jumped up and knocked it away because he could because he was so long and most people couldn't do stuff like that.
3: And I think all four of those guys contribute to what I thought was maybe the most encouraging thing about the Maui Invitational slash Asheville Invitational I think Carolina's got the chance to be pretty good defensively, and they were pretty good defensively. You just didn't notice it because they shot it so poorly. And because they were turning it over so frequently, if you take away the points Texas got from turnovers, which I think were 17, and at least half of those were live ball where they just go down and shoot a layup, Texas isn't close in that game. So if Carolina could clean up some of the miscues on offense, I think their defense looks that much better because they've got guys who can protect the rim standing in the paint they've got guards who may make some technical mistakes but are intense on playing defense every single time down the court R.J. Davis is not as big as he would ideally be but you know what if he was that big he probably wouldn't be here if he was 6'5 because he would have been the number one rated recruit in his class so You take the good and the bad and give me the offense of R.J. Davis and the ability to get to the free throw line and knock him down and find a way to get the ball up to the rim because then Carolina can go get it if he misses. And I'll I'll live with the defense and the fact that other teams may go at him like Texas did on the final play. At least go off, King. At, le- at least five people tweeted or emailed me about why Carolina didn't have Leaky Black on Coleman because Leaky Black was standing in the other corner with Courtney Ramey. And if Leaky Black had been on Coleman, they would have gone to Ramey because those two guys were the entire team the final 10 minutes of the game. And you made a great point after the game that Coleman scored 16 two years ago when rj davis couldn't even drive a car coleman was playing high level college basketball and rj davis was hoping one day he'd be able to go to the prom so of course coleman is going to somehow trickle it in in early december of rj davis's fourth ever college basketball game of course he is let's play again sometime down the road that's one game you're going for the whole program. R.J. Davis is part of that whole program, and you are eventually going to be very happy with him and not remember Matt Coleman's name.
1: I think, to your point about the defense, I thought Leaky Black was spectacular defensively. Roy Williams said the same thing after the the first couple of games. I haven't heard him talk about the, the Texas game as much but I thought Leaky Black was really good and even there were a couple times late in the Texas game he knocked the ball off got Carolina possession I mean he he is rounding into a terrific every game Leaky you go get this guy and keep him 8 points below his season average kind of defender and he I mean he was impressive um I think Caleb Love it, it, it was weird, and I'd be interested if you thought this way too. It's like Caleb Love was always pretty good, but then there'd be like possessions where he decided he was just going to defend, and he would be right up in the guy, and it would be really tough for that whoever the opposition was to get by him. We've talked about the rim protection, which I think is good. Um, I mean, I didn't even think R.J. Davis' defense on that last play was somehow bad. I mean, the dude hit a step back, fall away from 17 feet that rattled around and went in okay. And even Roy Williams said after the game, had there been a little bit more experience, had his team been a little bit older, he may even double team just to get the ball out of his hands to make somebody else do something. But he didn't feel real comfortable with that right now. Because, I mean, Adam, we talked about it uh, on the air during the game. I mean, there were points when Carolina had four and five freshmen on the floor at times in key moments. And that's... uh, if there's ever been an example of what you're saying about the, this, you know, playing the game for the program is at one point it was Davis, Walton, Puff Johnson, Dayron Sharp, and Walker Kessler, and the heels were down like six or four with about seven minutes left. It, if that's a final four game, that's probably not the five on the floor at that moment in time. But you, you want those guys to get that experience. And so, again... I am excited about this Tariel team. I think it's a fun team to watch play. They're going to lose some games that frustrate you. They're going to win some games that you don't expect. I think it's a really fun team to watch play because they go hard. They seem to like each other and play well together. And I I think it has the potential to be a really good team by the the time the season's said and done.
3: And we saw some teams that we weren't quite sure did like each
1: other. Absolutely. Yeah, when you see that much basketball in a short amount of time – I do think you learn a little bit about the personality of the teams. And I, Carolina is a, is a team, which is not a surprise. But I do think when you're getting so many new people in, it can be clunky. It didn't appear to be clunky to me. Can Garrison Brooks and Caleb Love get more comfortable playing together? And I just picked two names there. Yes, of course they can. Can R.J. Davis and... Armando Baycott get more comfortable on entry passes to the post of course they can but I I, these guys seem to really like each other and play well together
3: there was a moment in the Texas game when Baycott was on the free throw line in the second half and Carolina had struggled from the line and he shot it and he made it and Walker Kessler was kind of in my line of sight over on the Carolina bench and I mean he gave it the double fist pump like exactly (laughs) what you did in your living room and Like Walker Kessler could be playing 35 minutes a game at Auburn or whatever. And the fact that he's that invested in someone who's basically playing his spot at that moment in an important game tells you very good things about both him personally and about the potential of this team to continue to get better if everyone's that bought in, which I think also goes back to Leaky Black, because if he has bought into this whole defensive thing and he can stay healthy and he could maybe only take about half the shots that he sometimes judges to possibly be a good idea, then you've got Jackie Manuel. And Jackie Manuel wins championships. And Jackie Manuel, his own self, said that Leaky Black could be unstoppable if he would go that route. Well,
1: and and, and, I, th- and I know you're not saying this. It's not like Leaky Black's going to go out there and you're playing four on five offensively. That's, right. not, that's not what you're saying. I mean, he made a big driving layup at the end of the Stanford game, knocked down free throws at the end of the Stanford and Texas games that were big. Yes, it just needs to be a more conservative, pointed approach offensively with this terrific defense and rebounding that he is providing already.
3: The same things you would say to a Caleb Love. Absolutely. Like like that shot might be a good shot with five seconds on the shot clock. With 23 on the shot clock, let's change sides of the floor and throw it inside one time. And then if it comes back to you, go ahead. Or drive them to the basket because we know Eric, no less an authority than Eric Montross has told us that the leaky
1: train, when it goes to the basket, is very hard to stop. Boy, there was a lot of hard contact on drives. I thought the whole event, but particularly that Texas game, man, it was like both teams were going to the rim and let's see if the whistle blows or not.
3: Well, I think we all were intrigued to see if that
1: would occur. So, again, it's not getting any easier. I mean, and that's the thing about this year. I mean, Carolina's next game's Iowa, then the Elon game's up in the air right now. I mean, Tariel's going to play somebody between Iowa and Ohio State. I don't know who, I don't know when. I have a pretty good idea where, the Smith Center. But, I mean, Iowa and Ohio State are both ranked teams. If the Tar Heels split those games, I think that's good. If they somehow win both, I think that's awesome. So, just again, these are good teams that Carolina's playing without the fluff games. I mean, the Tar Heels haven't played those three or four games that you normally would have played at this point against teams that Carolina has a high, 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 high chance of beating. They just, they just haven't played those that allow you to work out some of these things and, and get confidence and all those different things.
3: I'll tell you one other thing I liked. I liked in the Stanford game, Carolina's up three with 15 or 16 seconds left. We know there were some issues last year in similar situations with everybody on the bench and on the court getting on the same page with how Carolina wanted to defend that. Garrison Brooks goes over to Roy Williams, makes everybody wait to inbound the ball, which if you're Garrison Brooks, you can do because you're a little gerb, and verbally asks him, what do you want us to do here? And then went out and relayed that information to all his teammates so that everyone did the exact same thing. It's hard to find that in college basketball. The guy who's A, willing to do it, and B, thinks about it. And if you've got that in game number three, that bodes very well for game number 30.
1: Last thing, at least for me, I will be interested to see how people continue to defend in the post. Because I don't know if you can continue to double team both the big guys that the Tar Heels have on the floor at all times. I think that makes it really hard for the other team. And so, if all of a sudden... Garrison Brooks or Armando Baycott or De'Ron Sharper, whoever it is, isn't getting that double team. I like that option every single time, no matter which one it is. Walker Kessler in there, too. I mean, no matter which one it is, I like that option. So can other teams double team both big guys? I I don't know. I think that'll be interesting to see happen. Like, UNLV was selling out no matter what to double team whoever had it. They were going to go and just swarm them. Um, Texas... Didn't do that as much with Garrison Brooks, and he ended up with 18 points. So I, I like that part of what Carolina has at its disposal.
3: And I think Carolina is going to be able to use that high-low that they used a few times oh, in Asheville. Yes. That Kennedy Meeks and Isaiah Hicks used to do so well. They're going to be able to score a lot of points on that this year.
1: I know everybody could say this forever, but how how incredible would it be if we got to watch Daron Sharp and Walker Kessler go through four years of basketball uh, together in the post? That I mean – That'd be awesome. But I know everybody can say that, but they don't believe it as much as we do, Adam. <laughs> okay, Adam, anything else? Okay, Bill Walton won there, by the way. Yeah, not not in person. We would have presented him the potty had he been there, but he wasn't there. He seems like he was aggressively in your homes <laughs> if you were watching on TV, but he was not actually there. The
3: Nielsen ratings for Tarring Hill Sports Network were off the charts.
1: It must have been... The Stanford game must have been out of control as far as the broadcast was concerned from the TV side of things.
3: Do you want to remind everyone how they
1: can listen to the Tar Heel Sports Network? Uh, Yes, because I enjoy it. I would tweet this out and people would go, well, finally, I know this information. I've been tweeting this out before every single game for 10 years now. So, of course, you can listen on your local radio affiliate. And we have more than 40 of them in the state of North Carolina. You can stream the Tariel Sports Network for free. GoHeels.com has it available. The GoHeels app has it available. The TuneIn app has it available. TuneIn is free. There is a premium option to tune in, but you don't have to be a premium subscriber to hear the radio broadcast. And I know there'll be like a screen that makes it look like you have to. You don't. Just trust me. And a lot of our individual radio affiliates also stream on their websites. So if you want to go that way, like if you're in Chapel Hill and want to go through WCHL's website, that's fine. They're streaming it. So there are plenty of streaming options for the game if you're outside of our radio network. Um, And you can go to the website. It's Learfield.com. Learfield is L E A R. And then field.com dot com slash sync dash my dash game. S y N C dash my dash game. Learfield.com <laughs> slash sync dash slash dash calabash. <laughs> Have some hash. Whoa. Um I meant like hash browns, Adam. Oh, okay. You've been in Asheville too long, sir. <laughs> um so, learfield.com slash sync dash my dash game, and it's easy instructions on how to do it. All you need is a DVR and a, and a broadcast device.
3: I know that I'm the wrong person to speak on this because I'm hashtag blessed to be at the games. And if I want to listen to the Tariel Sports Network, I just put my headset on. Yeah, Look, sometimes I don't put my headset on. I just don't want to hear it. Understandable. But if I was at home watching the games, and I know all those things Jones just said make it a little more complicated, it would make my life so much better as a Carolina fan just to take those extra couple minutes because I'm going to tell you, the times we receive emails from people going, man, I love that TV broadcast, are very few. I want to watch the game with people who are watching it like Tariels watch it. And that's how I would do it. I just think that makes more sense to me. And it's not worth the aggravation of, oh, this person's not talking about the game at all. Or I don't feel like this person really knows about the Tariels. Look, Jones and Eric may be questionable human beings, yeah. but they know about the Tariels. Yeah. Especially Eric. I'm not sure that guy's nice at all.
1: All right. So let's get to Ed Davis and course 2009 national champion been in the league for 10 years now we're going to talk to ed come back we still have to preview football for this weekend plus adam has a big list too all still coming on the carolina insider
3: man our guest today has had a busy last week or so there's been a lot going on in ed davis's life um so we really appreciate him giving us some time ed what what has the the last four, five, six days been like for you as as we record this today?
2: Um, I'm pretty much, you know, a f- I was a free agent, but I had a guaranteed contract. So it was just pretty much, you know, seeing where I was going to end up. You know, I end up, got traded to the Knicks and didn't know if I was going to be there or somewhere else. And then end up last night getting moved to the Timberwolves. And, you know, that's going to be my landing spot for the year.
3: How does that work when – Like we always think about the cool parts of being in the NBA and we don't think about the fact that you have a life where you are and then they can just call you on the phone and say your life is moving. How does that work when that happens, especially twice in such a short proximity of time?
2: Uh, I mean, for me, I handle it well, you know, but um, I have a wife, I have a family, so, you know, I have three kids. So for them, you know, it's more stressful, you know, just uh, the uncertainty and not knowing where you're going to go and, you know. The unknown, I guess, you know, people are afraid of it, you know, just not knowing. But like I said, lucky for me, I, you know, I had a contract. It was just I didn't have a destination point.
1: Can I just say that it's wild to me that Ed Davis is married, has three kids, and yet he looks exactly like he did when he <laughs> played at Carolina. How do you look exactly the same? How have you not aged a single day, Ed? Man, I'm trying to stay as young as possible. <laughs> <laughs> three kids ain't going to do that to you now. That's tell me does. about <laughs> it. <laughs> so tell us, I mean, we, we hadn't seen you in a while. I mean, if Carolina fans haven't been keeping up closely with what you've done and gosh, in the last 10 years since, since you left Carolina, what has life in the professional ranks been like for
2: you? Uh, I mean, it's been a, a great ride. You know, I'm just trying to stay on this ride as long as possible. You know, um, all the relationships you know that I built. You know, over my ten year career and you know um, the ups and downs of my career from you know signing contracts to you know not playing to getting hurt and you know all the the good and bad that come with it. But you know, it's been a you know a fun journey.
1: How does one stay in the league? for 10 years because there's a lot of guys who it's hard enough just to get there but they're only able to stay for a year or two how does somebody
2: stay in it for now a decade um I mean a lot you know um I think for for most guys you know they don't accept their role and I think you know um, me coming here you know um, with coach Williams and you know my first day on campus he pretty much told me you know you're going to need a role and you know you need to do this this and that to reach your dreams and you know for me I stuck with that and you know I always remember him telling me you know um you rebound block shots you know dunk the ball you know you be you have a long career and make a lot of money and you know um that stuck with me and you know it's been true but I think um a lot of it has to do with you know there's not guys just don't understand their role some of them not you know professional and then you know it's it's a tough lead, tough business, you know. Every year you have 30 guaranteed guys coming in and another 15 20 second round guys that are going to get guaranteed deals. So those 50 guys that were on the rosters last year, they no longer have deals, so you know, it's a tough business.
3: Guys in the NBA seem to uniformly love you. Like you people talk so highly of Ed Davis as a teammate, as a player, Everything about Ed Davis seems to be positive, which is unusual in the NBA. What is it, if you were giving some young player advice on what it takes to have people talk about them that way, to see them as a good teammate, what what would you tell them?
2: Um, I mean, me personally, you know, through the good and the bad, you know, I'm, I'm going to be the same person. You know, um, last year, what, a year and a half ago in, um, in Brooklyn was probably, the, you know, one of the best years of my career, and then I come back, you know, last year for the Jazz, and I had the worst year of my career. But, you know, I was the same person in the locker room, same person, you know, during the games, after the games, you know, treated my teammates the same, my attitude was the same, even though it was tough and, you know, I was, you know, I had some tough nights and, you know, just not playing, you know, it's tough, especially at this point in my career and, you know, what I thought it was going to be when I got to Utah. So I say, like, you know, guys, you know, they respect that. You know, they respect the hard work. You know, they respect when people give them real advice. And, um, you know, like I said, I'm just myself every day, you know, through the good and the bad. All right. So, keep uh,
1: remind me of everywhere you've been. So, you played for the Trailblazers. You played for the Jazz. You played for the Nets. Am I missing anybody?
2: (laughs) Yeah. I I got drafted by Toronto. Toronto. Two and a half. And then I got traded to Memphis. Memphis. That's right. You say the Lakers, too? Oh, no, I didn't say the Lakers. Got them in there.
1: Okay, so you've seen and uh, you've seen in, just in that group, some teams that have had a lot of success traditionally and teams that haven't had as much success traditionally. What in your travels, what have you noticed about the team the teams that win on a more consistent basis? I know you have to have great players, of course, but what is it about the culture of those places? Have you noticed any big difference at the cultures of a place like the Lakers, for example, compared to
2: somewhere else that maybe doesn't have as much success? Uh, I mean, I think the the Lakers are the outlier, but, you know, um, like Portland, you know, they have good management, good yeah. ownership. Um, when I was in Toronto, you know, um, it was a different management than Masai, but um, they have a good ownership group and, you know, they're on the right track. Um Memphis at the time, not so much. You know, they just had a the new owner, Robert Perry, just bought the team, and they had Lionel Hollins. He was doing some tricky stuff. And. <laughs>
3: you and Lionel Hollins were not. Y- y'all didn't get along great. I think that's fair to say, right? Yeah,
2: still to this day.
1: <laughs> what happened?
2: Um, I mean, I just really don't respect him as a person. You know, honestly, as bad as it sounds, but right. You know, um, I mean, obviously, I didn't play there, but. That has nothing to do with, it, but I just don't respect him as a person. That's all there is to it.
1: Sure, and it's yeah. got to be hard to play for somebody you don't have respect for. I'm yeah, guessing, yeah, for sure. Um, has it been what you thought it would be? I get I, that might be a dumb question, but I mean, I'm, I'm somebody who is of your talent level, dreaming of playing in the NBA, and you've lived this. Is it what you thought it would be, or has it been worse, better? Uh,
2: it's more of a business than what I thought it thought it was going to be. Sure, you know, and, um, I seen both sides of it. You know, I remember. Um, when I was in Toronto, we were struggling my first year and then the last like twenty games they set all the vets and all the young guys play, and that's when I like really started to play good basketball and started to get comfortable with the NBA. And I didn't really like look at the vets like, This is their career, you know, this guy's better than me, but the front office is telling him not to play or the coach not to play. So right. it was like my first like wake up call, but and then now I'm on the other side, so you know, I see it both sides. So I think the business side was probably um, the most, like, eye-opening thing for me.
3: I know you talked about the relationships you've built in these 10 years. You and Wayne Ellington were teammates here, so you obviously knew each other. But I know y'all have also gotten a whole lot closer since you've been in the NBA. How did that relationship develop, and, and what is it about you two guys that clicks?
2: Yeah, um, when I got here, he was a junior, so and we didn't hang out as much, and then – um. You know, we talked a little bit, you know, my first couple of years in the league, and then we ended up being teammates um, with the Lakers. And then, you know, um, we just were, from day one at training camp, you know, we were going to dinner and things like that. And then, you know, his father passed, and we you know, we got a little closer through that. And then, you know, he has um, some kids, and my kids are the same age, so we get up in the summertime, and, you know, we have a, a good genuine relationship. Is that good? Huh? Go ahead.
3: Well, and – you were pretty – you were nice to not really say it this way, but you were pretty important to him when he was going through everything with his dad, I think. How did you – that? that's not a – that's an unusual situation to be thrown into. How did you try to, to manage that?
2: Uh, I mean, just being there for him, you know, talking to him, trying to be as you know normal as possible. You know, I couldn't really relate to that situation. But I did know his dad and had a good relationship with Wayne before it happened. So, you know, um, just him having somebody to talk to that he, you know – that knew him personally, you know, his dad and, you know, I gave him a couple of stories how his dad used to um some of the stuff he used to say, you know, his dad was a funny guy, so, you know, that helped out a lot. But, you know, like I said, just just being there, you know, just going to dinners and, you know, going out and, you know, spending time together, I think helped him out a lot. Can we get a good Wayne's dad story? Is there a good is there a good one that you can tell to us? Um uh, Maybe not a story, but every time I seen him like when i my freshman year after the game, he used to always tell me you know you're going straight to the n b a lottery pick <laughs> every time I seen him so like like for me personally, like him saying that like it meant a lot, you know um just because you know that was my dream, and you know here's someone else other than like my family members you know look at me in that light, you know um meant a lot for me for sure so
1: we hear a lot, and Carolina is very proud of the Carolina basketball family is that an that the example that you just gave for Wayne is is a good one but is that have
2: you felt that is that real to you that Carolina basketball family once you leave here yeah it's real you know um you don't like you might not like notice it like why you're here because you're living it but um when you start to talk to you know um other guys from different schools and different situations and you see uh, oh they're not really close with their head coach or they don't really talk to their teammates or they don't come back and you know, play pickup in the summertime and things like that. That's when you really start to understand it. And then it's not really just you know the players; it really is the whole Carolina basketball family. You know, it's a bunch of um, assistant coaches. You know, that are with the Carolina that they're um, in the league right now, scouts and things like that. So, you know, it's bigger than just you know the guys with the jersey on. All right, when did you have? I don't want to call it an Afro, but you had like bigger hair for a season, right? Was that in Brooklyn? Uh, I mean, I, I started when I was with the Lakers and I just cut my hair probably a month ago. I was about to
1: say, what, what made you make the change?
2: I was just bored. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tired of it. <laughs> so I'm getting this all get this out of
2: here. Right.
3: You've been on both sides of the, the Carolina family. You've been the young guy who needs a little encouragement and needs people to show you what to do. And now you're, you're the veteran guy as the veteran guy. What have you tried to do for some of the younger guys to to give them that same experience that you had?
2: Um, I'm a lot just lead by example. You know, I, I train here with um with Jonas every day. So, you know, I train at 10 o'clock and, you know, the guys coming in and out. So, you know, I hope that they see, you know, um, the work that I'm putting in, you know, um, at going into year 11. You know, I'm there every day, you know, grinding with Jonas. So, you know, hope they see that. And cause I think – you know a lot of you know guys in college and high school when they think of you know training and working on your body they think of it as sort of like a like a punishment instead of like this is going to get you better so just like little things like that and then you know um, Armando's from Richmond so you know just talking to him and you know worked out with him a couple of times and you know I'm always open for you know questions or advice or whatever cuz I'm always around here so
3: what did you tell uh, you worked out with Armando this summer some right Yep. What do you tell him about what it takes to be successful playing in the post for Roy Williams?
2: Uh, I mean, coach loves is big. So you know, if you can <laughs> just catch the ball and you know shoot a jump hook, you're going to be fine here. So I, I told him that before he committed here. So you know, um, this is a a big man point guard school. You know, big men. You know, been doing well here. You know, just why you're here and then, you know, going to the NBA. So, you know, he take care of business and he'll reach his dreams also.
1: All right, let's go back to when you were here. Of course, a member of the 2009 National Championship team, unfortunately got hurt about halfway through uh, your sophomore season with that injury. And it was Z who also got hurt that year, right? Tyler Zeller got hurt that year too. That, that really hurt the Tar Heels that particular season. But uh, take us back to your time at Carolina. When you
2: think about your time here, what, what stands out to you? Uh, I mean, by far, you know, the national championship my freshman year, you know, um, that probably, you know, was probably the, the best moment of, you know, my basketball career, you know, um, just having, you know, those those bragging rights to say, you know, you're a national national champion, you know, um, it means a lot, you know, and then, you know, I struggled my my sophomore year, I got hurt, and then, you know, I left, so it was sort of like a, I guess, a weird ending, mm-hmm. but... um Obviously, I had to do what was, you know, best for me. And, you know, I enjoy my time here. You know, great university, great school, great coaching staff, man. I wish I could do my two years over.
1: What was it like walking in? I mean, that 09 team was such an established team at that point and had come very close the year before to winning and and didn't win and came back with that mentality to try and win. As a younger guy who was coming in trying to fit in and help, how did you adjust to that situation and try to manage and be successful both for yourself
2: and help the team? Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I always play, you know, winning basketball. So, like, like I feel like me being selfish is like better for the team because you know, me being selfish, I'm not taking ten more shots. You know, it might be a couple more blocks or a couple more offensive rebounds. So, I just always thought, you know, like you said, when Coach told me. For me to make it to the NBA, all I got to do is rebound, block shots, and run the floor. Like I literally just focused on that, <laughs> and everything else took care of itself. Do you remember, uh,
3: first of all, I think people forget how good you were. 11 points, 8 rebounds in the national championship game, that's pretty good. And you did that the whole year. Did you, but did you have a, like a welcome to college basketball moment that first month or two of practice when you're stepping into a team that had returning guys all over the place who knew what was going on?
2: uh maybe not a honestly i didn't really have a welcome to a moment my freshman year but like um my sophomore year i, I had like a wake up call when when john got here he was like the first person that i went went against that had like real like length and like you know i had a tough time like getting my left hand on jump hook off against john <clears throat> and i was like the first player i ever played against that could block that shot so like that really like woke me up like all right now i have to start working on some things so rarely a K like my sophomore year and not my freshman year. But, yeah, that was probably my welcome to college moment.
1: I think also people don't remember how good a shot blocker mm-hmm. Ed is and was when he was at – what makes a good shot blocker, in your opinion?
2: Um, I mean, one, the length, you know, um, being semi-athletic. But, you know <laughs> – right.
1: Come on now. Right. Just like I'm trying to stay young. It's <laughs> no big deal. Right.
2: Uh, <laughs> But timing time is a lot because you have some guys that are not really, like, super athletic, but they're, like, great shot blockers. Sure. Like, like Marcus Saul, he's one. Like, he's not athletic. I mean, he's decently long. He's seven-footer, but his timing is great. So, I'll say timing probably is, is at the top.
3: Who's somebody whose shot is difficult to block? Like, even you who is good at it know when this guy comes in the lane, it's going to be tough to get a piece of that one.
2: Um, I mean, a lot – Probably, i say probably, like, Anthony Davis just because, you know, he's so, like, he's athletic and then, you know, he falls a lot, so you can't really, like, put, you can't really be super physical with him. You
1: know? <laughs> or the whistle's blowing.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously he's a great player, but honestly, like, that's what it is. Like, he just, you know, he perfected that and, you know, he knows how to, you know, get those calls and deal with the refs and things like that. So I'd probably say, like, him and then he can finish both hands and, you know, just a tough player. Um. The
1: game of basketball for a big man has changed so much. I mean, I think even in the 10 years that you've been in the league, how have you tried to adjust your game to to stay as somebody who can be effective at the professional level, even as that position has changed some?
2: Yeah, I mean, like you said, the game just, you know, it, it changed so fast. You know, like when I first got into the league, you know, it was all about, you know, you needed five big men on your team just to, you know make it to the playoffs to sure. be solid now it's like teams are like all right we need one two big men maybe three and we're good to go so just for that aspect you know the big men sort of been like watered down you know i came into the nba a 4 now i'm strictly a 5 you know so but i think um the three point shooting you know like when i was when i was in high school and middle school like if you were a center and you shot threes like they called you soft like you need to be in the paint back to your basket so growing up it was more you know work on jump hooks finishing inside things like that so if i could go back in time if i knew what was going to happen now you know sure. how to you know more face up more stuff you know on the perimeter but you know it just it just changed so quick man it's crazy do you think the game will I don't know. it Like regulate back a
1: little bit, or do you think it's just so far gone now to this point where it is so perimeter oriented that
2: that's where we are here for for the foreseeable future? Uh, no, I, I don't. I don't think so because um, I think a lot of GMs they got hurt with the with the Golden State thing because that's who I guess we really started the, the small ball era. But you know they had you know Kevin Durant is seven foot and he's a good <laughs> defender, so yeah. it's like. Guys are trying to, they're trying to, or GMs are trying to turn six-six guys into Kevin Durant, and it's not working, you know. And they had Draymond, you know, Defensive Player of the Year. So I feel like um, these teams are sort of, you know, making, you know, some some costly mistakes. as they're trying to. It's all about, you know, like what's trendy. You got to keep up with who won the championship last year. Sure. But the Lakers sort of threw um, throwing a curveball because, you know, for the most part, you know, they were. They were huge. Even when they played small, like Anthony Davis is still a seven foot, so it's not really like small. Then you got LeBron out there who's six nine, so it's not really like small ball. It's just that they don't have the typical back-to-the-basket center and power forward. But for the most part, they still play big, and I think that, you know, now teams like if the Sixers win it this year, teams are going to be like, all right, we need bigs. So it just really depends on, like, who's hot at the time. Right. Yeah.
3: You have a background in the game, and just hearing you talk about it, it's obvious you – surprisingly, you understand the game better than we do. (laughs) Do you have any interest in, once you're done playing, whenever that is, in coaching front office, anything like that?
2: Uh, Yes, I do. You know, um, I don't know if it's going to be on the coaching side or the front office or maybe, like, the agency side. Mm -hmm. So, I'm – just in between, you know, I got – I try to plan for, you know, after basketball, but I like, I want to like still like live in the moment and enjoy this and not worry about what I'm going to do next. You know, I know I'm going to have options. So, you know, that, that helps me. But, you know, I, I just try to focus on, you know, this season now. And then, like, when that time comes, you know, I'll deal with it. I know
1: part of it is because you're good at it and you've been able to make a terrific living with it. But what has it been about basketball that, that has kept you with it i mean that, that has attracted you to it for so long and even then talking about hey mate when i'm done playing I'd, I'd still like to maybe be around it in some form or fashion what is it about the game that that has kept you around it so long um
2: uh, I, mean, I think everything about it you know um i love competing you know i love you know um you know working out you know the grind the waking up sore like everything that comes into it you know obviously you know the lifestyle and what you can do you know how much you know you know, money you can make, you know, that's that has a lot to do with it also. You know, I'm not going to sit here and say it doesn't. Sure, of course. Yeah, so, um, I, I mean, honestly, like, you know, my my dad played in the NBA, so um, growing up, you know, he him and my mom, they sort of, like, like pumped that, like, in my head. Like, <laughs> Seriously, like, every day, like, you know, NBA, you know, you, you want to work, you have to put in the work to get it there. So, that's all I pretty much knew, you know, growing up was, you know, make it to the NBA and... You know, try to ride it out as long as possible.
3: You've talked about the work a couple times. We all know guys who were talented at basketball but haven't played a decade in the NBA like you have. What really is the difference in the work that's put in to get to where you are as compared to some of the guys who, who feel like they're working hard and they say they are, but you know really they're not? What's, what's the difference?
2: Right. Um, like for me, I'm working on things that, that's going to help me. You know, I'm not like going in the gym for an hour doing some stuff that I might do. You know, once a month. You know, it's just it's just pointless. Like, you know, I, I want to take care of my body, and that goes from the weight room to my diet, to my sleep at night, to you know, keeping stress away and things like that. And then, you know, when I'm on the court, like you said, I want to work on you know, um, you know, my conditioning. I want to be you know, top shape. You know. Um, I want to keep improving at the free throw line, things like that, instead of, you know, um, some of these guys, they get in with these trainers and they try to expand their game, expand their game. But, you know, sort of the NBA has, I mean, now more than ever, sort of turned into, like, you have to be, like, a specialist at something or, you know, um, you're not going to have a spot. So, me, I just try to, you know, be the best rebounder, best defender, you know, prepared, you know, healthy, things like that. So I think for the most part it's just, um, you know, figuring out what you're good at and, you know, just trying to ride that out instead of trying to expand your game so much because, you know, you're sort of you're sort of putting a box in the NBA. You know, it's like if you're a second-round pick and you're going to a playoff team, it's a good chance that you're not going to play. So you sort of got to have, like, like that mindset. And you can't think that you're going in and you're going to be the star on this team. So that has a lot to do with why guys get out the lead too, just not knowing.
3: I think sometimes people think of guys whose dads played in the NBA and they think of your childhood in a certain kind of way. I think – I remember you talking when you were here about some of the jobs you had growing up that, that your parents had you doing that I think explain a lot about why you are the way you are today. What, what were some of those jobs and what do you remember about them?
2: Um, I mean, I think a lot of it just had to do with um – like how my dad was raised, you know. My dad comes from a small, you know, country town like South Boston, Halifax, Virginia. Literally, like nothing there, you know. And um, went to a Division Two school, you know. He literally undrafted, had to work for everything. And so um, just all throughout life, you know, he always put that that mindset in my head. Like you have to work. Like, you know, nothing's gonna be handed to you. You know, um, you'll have enough to get by, but you know, you have to work for every- <clears throat> excuse me, you have to work for everything. And I think that, you know, that always stuck with me. You know, um, like I said, I, I worked jobs when I was, you know, 14, 15, 16 years old where, you know, some of my friends, you know, up until they, they got out of college, they never had a job, you know. So for me, some of those jobs that I worked, when I was working, I was like, this is not really what I want to do the rest of my life. So, you know, that motivated me, you know, to keep working harder on the basketball court, knowing that, you know, I did, I do have the God-given ability, God-giving ability to take my, you know, um, game to the next level in college and the NBA. So, you know, that helped me out a lot.
1: Appreciate Ed's time. That interview brought to you by the Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina. And we do indeed have a five-second challenge coming up. Texting while driving takes your eyes off the road for about five seconds. At highway speeds, that's like driving the length of a football field with your eyes closed. Trusted Choice Independent Insurance Agents of North Carolina wants you to stay safe behind the wheel. Put down your phone while driving. Let's have a hands-free and seat. To learn more, visit trustedchoice.com find an agent near you. We'll get to that five second challenge in just a second. But a reminder that we're brought to you here on the pod in part by the College Foundation of North Carolina. Visit cfnc.org for everything you need to plan, apply and pay for college this application season now in an updated format. And also we are brought to you in part by UNC Healthcare. Adam has a champion watch coming up. UNC Healthcare, dedicated to caring for champions of all kinds. You and your family included. See their lineup at unchealthcare.org slash sports. Adam, who will you be keeping an eye on, champion watch-wise, this weekend?
3: They're swimming all weekend in Chapel Hill, the Janice Hape Dowd Invitational. And then on Sunday, if you need to watch some Tar Heels, women's basketball is at home against Charlotte at 4 o'clock. That game's on the ACC Network Women's basketball off to a good start already this year.
1: Yeah, so they had that crazy game a couple of days ago when they were, what, down 21 in the first quarter and came back and won by 25? Yeah. That's wild. Didn't get off to a
3: great start against High Point, but then uh, came back. They've played a lot of games, I feel like, and their ACC portion of the schedule starting soon.
1: Okay, Adam, we mentioned the five-second challenge. We still need to preview Western Carolina, but first... You, sir, are the question asker this week. I am the question answerer. All right.
3: Earlier in the radio program, we mentioned De'Ron Sharp. Yeah, we did. If you remember, Jones, he had a double-double in his first game. Yep. As a tar-year. Not first game ever. Yeah. Because he's told us he was not very good when he started. Mm. But he is good now. Yeah. He had 13 points and 10 rebounds against Charleston. That made him the 11th Tar Heel to record a double-double in his first game. Your five second challenge is to name the other 10.
1: I thought you might want to stall some, but I guess not. No, I knew that I could freak you out by not saying anything, and it was a reverse jinx on you right there, and it worked. Because now look at me. Look at me now. Look at me (laughs) sore now.
3: You have five seconds that begin right now.
1: Lenny Rosenbluth, Cole Anthony, Sam Perkins, James Worthy, Antoine Jameson. Time. I don't think Jameson's won, but I figured it was worth a shot.
3: Okay. You said Lenny Rosenbluth you were correct. I know that one's right.
1: And I know Cole Anthony's right.
3: Well, let me don't even bother to look it up then. Cole Anthony is right. Who'd you say after Cole Anthony? Sam Perkins? Sam Perkins. Correct. Nice.
1: Antoine Jameson? Wait, I said I said James Worthy too, just on a flyer.
3: I know. Antoine Jameson's a no. Yeah. James Worthy? Yes. Hey, that's pretty good. That is pretty good. So you got four. Four out of ten in five seconds. That's not bad. Okay, the others. Okay, I see one. Ooh, <laughs> I see two. I see three former podcasts.
1: Holy smokes! Three former podcast,
3: including one you're going to be very upset about.
1: How about Bob McAdoo? No.
3: Good guess though.
1: John Custer? No. <laughs> I'm looking at Walter Davis. No looking at the board okay you would find all three of these people on the board oh my gosh okay well i don't think christian keeling did (laughs) nor brandon robinson nor brian bursticker i don't ed Ed davis didn't did he ed davis whoa did he today's
3: podcast that's why i wanted to do this question today really what do you what was it a double double
1: wow good job ed davis Uh, let's see. I, I know it's not Hubert Davis. Nope. I know my soulmate Ranzino Smith didn't do it. Kobe White didn't do it. Nope. Cam Johnson. No. One of these is a very recent signature. Sorry. I'm just I know this is really exciting for you as I just continue to (laughs) read off names that I see (laughs) Phil Ford. No. Okay. You just got to tell me now, Adam,
3: the very recent signature is Larry Miller.
1: Ah,
3: the less recent signature got a lot of double doubles in his Carolina career. Sean May.
1: Uh, Yeah, that makes sense. I should have gotten Sean now not former podcast Surprised, Bob McAdoo. Like of all the people on the board, if you'd asked me to pick one, well, I may have said Larry Miller, if you would just told me to pick one, of course, I didn't say it when we were actually doing (laughs) it, but I think those would be the two that if you said Jones, two of these, I think those have been the two that I would have said. And then Sean third. The ones
3: not former pod guests, but I'm sure they're hoping to be one day. Rusty Clark. Yep.
1: Bobby Jones. Anytime you're guessing double doubles, it's probably a good idea to guess Rusty Clark and Bobby Jones for that matter.
3: It's like rushing yards and Don McCall. Yeah. Just throw it out there. Yeah. And then we're missing one. Mm. This person is with us here in Pond World Headquarters in spirit. And he's looking at you right now.
1: Is it? Big Grits? No. Brad Doherty? No. Mr. Goose Honkers? <laughs> Pete Chilcutt? His name was Bill Leslie. Yeah, it was Pete Chilcutt. Nice.
3: Pete Chilcutt with a double-double in his first game as a heel.
1: That boy, Chili Pete.
3: Was that Was that the Syracuse game when he had to fill in? I think it might have been. Because that would have been the 87-88 season. Yeah. And he would have been a freshman.
1: Yep. Yeah. I told, I, Good I, job, I, Pete Cut. Adam, would you like? I, I may have even put this call in before, where it's Steve Martin on the Tariel Sports Network doing the play. Have I put it in before the I game winner against or the game tire against Syracuse? I don't think you can hear this enough. Okay, let's go and put up. So Woody was doing a football game this day. So Steve Martin, who if you he was in Father of the Bride, <laughs> so was the uh, play-by-play voice for what the Hornets? I think that's right. Yeah, and for a long time and has done TV in the area for a long time, um, filled in that game. So he's on the call. A, a, it's just like seeing a golden goose at him. It's a rarity. Atario Sports Network play-by-play call within the last, like, 50 years that isn't Woody. So here we go. Here's Steve Martin on the call as our boy, Chili Pete, ties it up against the Cuse. Second shot is up, and it is good. Syracuse by two, 85-83, Carolina with the ball, six seconds left. Levo stops, waits, looks into traffic to it. He turns, fires up, high off the rim, it's good, it counts, it's going into overtime. The basket goes in.
3: I vividly remember watching that game.
1: Well, you're so angry at Syracuse from the year before when oh, they had knocked oh. the Tar Heels out. Heels didn't have uh, J.R. Reed nor Steve Bucknall.
3: And I was mad at them. For their transgressions that resulted in them
1: not playing. Can't imagine Steve Bucknall would be involved in anything like that. We should have him on the pod. Yeah, we should.
3: But, and I thought the Tar Heels had no chance because Syracuse had vanquished my favorite team ever just a few short months before,
1: but old Dean Smith, you don't count him out. He had other ideas. That's right. Okay, Adam, let's talk a little football. Okay. Tar Heels in Western Carolina coming... Saturday at noon. This is, Adam, perhaps the most 2020 scheduled game of all time. Was not on the original schedule for the year. Was not on the COVID change schedule of the year. Then after the Charlotte game was canceled, it was then added for December the 12th. But then it got changed from that date to this upcoming Saturday. Carolina and the Catamounts from Western Carolina. So look. The Tar Heels are a lot better than Western Carolina, as they should be. Western Carolina is not even really in its season yet. They're playing their conference games in the spring. So their head coach has said he's treating this as like preseason NFL games, essentially, and playing a bunch of freshmen and just going like base defense and just getting them some experience. Western played Liberty and Eastern Kentucky already. Adam, on average, they gave up 53.5 points and 611 yards in those two games. I'm not saying that Carolina's just going to roll the ball out there and win the game. But I fully expect Carolina to win the game. But the Tar Heels have to go out there. They have to execute. They have to play. Especially in football, you can't go halfway or bad things are going to happen. So the the Tarials need to go out there and, and win the game. But they have a great chance to do that. Again, the opponent, the situation, all of it. I think from the Tarial perspective and I was interested to hear Mac Brown say this after practice on Wednesday was that he had been disappointed with practice some this week, he had not felt like Carolina had practiced to the standard that he wanted. And I do think that's a – I think from the Carolina perspective, that was the challenge this week. Can you, in what has been a long year, coming off an emotional game in which you lost and you were really excited for, you've got a big game coming up next week, can you come to work with the same level of intensity and excitement and execution – this week, as you did versus Notre Dame, and as you hopefully will against Miami. Um, and according to Mac Brown, he has not seen that, at least through Wednesday. Tariel's um, practiced yesterday as well. They'll have a walkthrough today um, to finish up their week to get ready. And then can you go out there and, and play that way? So I, I think the really good teams are able to do that. Is there naturally going to be a little bit of a letdown? Of course there is. But you try and and work through that best you can. Um, It's senior day in Chapel Hill. Mac Brown, with the caveat of, hey, in this season, we all understand things can change. But said he had spoken, he and his staff had spoken to all the, the seniors and talked about what they wanted to do. Of course, there's the option of returning. And that, as of now, three seniors opting to return. Grayson Atkins. The graduate transfer from Furman, the starting kicker, Bo Corrales, wide receiver, has not been able to play much. He played just a handful of snaps against Notre Dame. That had been his first action since Florida State. We know Bo has been a, a regular in the Tar Heel offensive rotation uh, for the several previous years leading up to this year. And also Tyrone Hopper, who is starting on the edge defensively for Carolina. Those three guys has to have decided they are returning. There will be to my count, sixteen Tariels who will be going through the senior day activities. Some of the names that will be most familiar to you: Michael Carter, Chris, Co- or uh, excuse me, Michael Carter, Zach Gill, Tamon Fox, um, Daz Newsom, Patrice Renee, Jace Ruder, Noah Ruggles, Chaz Surratt, Garrett Walston. So, some familiar names certainly in there. Guys who, to varying degrees. Um, are part of the rotation for the Tar Heels, and Coach Brown also said. And Adam, he's been very open about this kind of stuff. He said, and be aware there might be some other guys who transfer that aren't you know real happy with their playing time right now. And what we've asked them to do is finish this year strong, keep up with your academic work. You know, if you're getting late in your career, get get your degree and then you know be a graduate transfer. Um, so there are some other guys that may end up transferring. Normal attrition in a football program that I think Mac Brown is just keeping a very open dialogue with his players. And I think that helps. Um, But those will be the guys, some of the guys going through the senior day festivities, which will be different. NCAA rules will not allow parents on the field due to COVID. So there will be video messages from parents to the seniors that are played on the video board. Of course, parents, if they're able, will be in the stadium to watch the game. And by if they're able, I mean, if they can get there, they're allowed in there. Um, So it'll be different, but you want to send those seniors out, of course, the right way as well, and so uh, hopefully that occurs on Saturday.
3: Man, that stinks, not being able to be on the field with your kid when they potentially play the game you've watched them play for 15 years for the last time. Yep. I I hope Carolina comes up with something creative to allow – those folks to be in proximity to each other at that time that you'll never, ever get to do again. And obviously I'm sure the NCAA is not trying to hurt anyone, but that that's rough. That's, that's really rough. You'll never get that back. As far as the game goes, I think as Jones made clear on paper, Carolina is better than Western Carolina. And you might say, well, why even play the game? Well, this is the game Carolina didn't play before Boston college, when I think by all accounts looked a little rusty going into that Boston college game, because they just hadn't played opponents who didn't know what they were running in multiple weeks. You don't want to go into Miami with that type of rust, right? Because potentially the Miami game could be big. Now who really knows what will happen with the ACC schedule? Who, who knows?
1: It's hard to keep up with right now.
3: It, It truly is hard to remember who's playing, who, where, and when. But as far as we know, as of right this second, Carolina will play at Miami next Saturday. We don't know the time, but one day we will. And if that game is played as scheduled, that could be a very important game for the Tar Heels and for the ACC standings and bowl games if those exist. So you want to go in as sharp as you possibly can. So give your starters a half-ish to work out any kinks. Maybe try a couple new things see what's working, what's not, and then get those reserves who have practiced for, as you mentioned last time, a long time at this point. Give them a chance to to go out and do some stuff and see what you got there.
1: I think ideally the Tariels play your starters in the first half, hopefully have a, an advantage, and then you see a lot of third quarter, you see a lot of guys who you think are going to help you in the future, a Jacoby Criswell at quarterback, you know, backup offensive lineman, who had DJ Jones, whoever at at running back, and then maybe fourth quarter you get into you're going walk-ons and guys who don't ever get to play, and just gonna be it's gonna be awesome to see them on the field. Now things don't always go ideally. I think that is what you hope if you're Carolina that you can play it out that way, but certainly none of that is is a hundred percent.
3: And I think the challenge for Mac Brown is while that is the ideal plan, you don't want to go out there and just muck it up in the fourth quarter either. I mean, right. You've got certain standards that you're trying to hold everyone to. And if you allow things to get sloppy, it's difficult to, to get them back to that standard. So I think that's the trick. And that's why good head coaches are good head coaches because they can walk that line between these guys deserve to play and these are the standards everyone in the program has to meet. And we're not just out there messing around for fun.
1: And again, Carolina's got to go win the game. I mean, none of this is relevant if it's a 28-21 to game in the late third quarter or something. So um, you got to go make it happen too. But again, I think it is worth remembering how Western is approaching this game as well. Would they love to be in it? Of course. But I think they also understand that What they're worried about is competing for a conference championship when the Southern Conference plays in the spring. And so they are trying to take advantage of these opportunities and maybe build some depth, get young guys, you know, have them have a freshman corner go guard Deami Brown. And then if he can do that, when he gets into the Southern Conference, he's going to be in a lot better shape. So I think they are also trying to use this, like we were talking about with Carolina basketball, kind of in a similar vein of, Do they want to win this game? Of course they do, but they're also looking at a much larger picture in their participation in this particular contest. Um, So, noon, we're on the air at 11 a.m. from Keenan Stadium, excited to be back at it with football and uh, two more big weeks. Adam, I know a part of your list is going to talk about some real sadness that we have on the football side of things, so... We may as well go ahead and rip off that Band-Aid after I tell you. That were brought to you in part by L.S. Tractor, and nominations are now open for the 2020 Homegrown Heroes, presented by L.S. Tractor, where they look to recognize a special group of frontline workers, teachers, police, fire, EMT, community leaders, military heroes. Do you have an unsung hero in your family or community? If so, visit goheelscom hero and have their story shared for a chance to win an amazing prize pack that includes $250 in merch and a custom big frig cooler. Goheels.com slash hero. Nominate your hero today. Adam, your list. What's on the top of Adam's list? Brought to you by Top of the Hill where Tar Heels come to celebrate.
3: Well, Jones teased this news, and there's no easy way to say this. No Sun Bowl this year.
1: Yeah. Adam, that is neither great nor does it rock. The
3: Sun Bowl is a long-time established bowl. And in all seriousness, if we're not having the Sun Bowl, what bowls are we having? We also know we're not having the Pinstripe Bowl, which is another bowl with ACC ties.
1: Or the Holiday Bowl. Or the Fenway Bowl. So... I could just say things and see if you think they're... And the Pete Cut Bowl. (laughs) So...
3: Are we going to have bowls beyond, as you've said, the playoff and the New Year's Six? I'm not sure.
1: Yeah. Unclear. Speaking of football, this isn't quite a how can you justify now, that. I will say one thing about the Sun Bowl quickly. I mean, El Paso's, I think, been a bit of a hotbed for coronavirus. So, it is, in all seriousness, a bummer that the bowl will not occur probably the right decision and
3: next year we'll get to see tony the tiger yeah
1: from afar because tar Heels will be in the orange bowl but I'm, yeah i meant on television yeah we'll gather around the tv
3: this isn't it's not a full-fledged how can you justify that because i'm not even that wound up about it it's more just like a roll in my eyes like okay guys you know how sometimes in Twitter you get wrapped into conversations that you don't really want to be in? Yeah. But somehow your name's in there, and so you see it all?
1: That happens to me a lot.
3: Somehow this week I got in this conversation with some guy f- who is some kind of reporter for, like, News 14 or something, mm. and he was complaining about how Carolina football is ranked in the co- in the CFP rankings But NC State, which has just as good a record and has beaten two top 25 teams, is not in the rankings? (laughs) Bro. I mean, no one who knows anything about football thinks those two teams are comparable. And do you know what they use as their reference point? the game in which those two teams played a game of football and the one team that is ranked beat the stuffing out of the other team
1: 40 uh 48 21
3: and it could have been worse as sam howell told us all
1: yeah it could have been worse
3: that that's why they're not ranked it's it's because they are not among that group of ranked teams in terms of quality of football being played
1: I will enjoy going back and reading this Twitter exchange when we are done here on the pod. Well, I, I didn't respond. No, I know, but I can find it by going to your feed. Oh, yeah. Which is my homepage. It's just a big page <laughs> of Adam's Twitter feed.
3: One other little football nugget. Jones, get your push pins ready. Oh, okay. FootballSchedule.com reports Carolina and Purdue scheduling a football series
1: do I trust footballschedule.com.
3: they got it from an open records request so you know it's the truth uh you'll be going to Lafayette in 2027 hmm. is that where Purdue is Lafayette, West, La-
1: West Lafayette
3: well just go to Lafayette in general and you can see the <laughs> and, whole town while, turn, while you're there and then turn left yeah <laughs> watch out for that East Lafayette and then Purdue will be loading up the Boilermaker train and coming here to Chapel Hill in 2031
1: 2031 oh my well thank you footballschedules.com. i'm really looking forward to our sons doing
3: the pod discussion <laughs> about that home purdue game uh congratulations to not former pod guest antoine jameson he was elected to the college basketball hall of fame
1: we did have uh antoine on uh tariel sports network this week dave nathan did a longer interview with him and uh used it a in the pregame, a couple different times, I mean different parts of it in the different pregames, because you can never have enough Antoine Jameson. Let's be honest; one of the best ever at Carolina, and a good dude.
3: Yes, I don't think we've mentioned on here that the ACC basketball tournament this season mm. is moving to Greensboro.
1: Oh boy, yeah, it is.
3: I chalked that up in the win category. I don't yeah, know about you.
1: There's yeah, you know, when you have the two COVID buckets and there's the good. Mm covid news and the bad covid news the good covid news <laughs> is a shallow bucket yeah there's there's very few pebbles in that bucket <laughs> the other one is like waited you know weighing us all down to the depths of despair but we do have one little pebble in the good news bucket that says acc tournament in greensboro this year guys so that's that's this
3: year this season so if you had your hotel reservations in washington dc you can cancel them and i know you probably all did um Two pieces of news that made me genuinely sad.
1: We've already talked about the Sun Bowl, Adam.
3: That's three pieces of news. David Moss, who I don't know that I knew his name, but he's the gentleman from Quick Change.
1: Ah, yeah.
3: Passed away from COVID. COVID.
1: This, yeah. I don't have anything to say other than that stinks. That genuinely made me sad. Yeah, it did me too. Because, as you know, we've talked about Quick Change a lot. Always had fun in a good-natured way with Quick Change because we see, uh, have seen them several times on the road with Carolina at halftime shows in different places, and it just sucks. I mean, there's not, nothing else to say. It's it's bad, bad news. Also, in the bad news category, ye old Waffle Shop.
3: Closing. Not, well, not reopening. It is closed. It is not reopening on Franklin Street. We talked about Franklin Street a couple months ago. Yeah. That's, that's a big hit for Franklin Street fix it. In,
1: in my mind. Fix it, Chapel Hill. F- figure something out and fix it because Franklin Street is going away, and it's going away on your watch. Fix it.
3: I don't know what will go there. It sounds like the family that owns Ye old also owns the building. So they'll be involved in whatever goes there. But whatever goes there won't be Yield Waffle Shop. Where people have gone for decades and decades and decades after church across the street or on a Saturday before a football game or whatever and you get your M&M waffles and now you can't they closed for COVID back in March and they just it wasn't financially sustainable to reopen and that is sad. So, when I think about sad things, I have to also think about yeah. happy things. I hope like,
1: you have something to bring me back up. Like I
3: puppies. Know. So, wanted to give a what up. We saw Angie Flynn McIver. McIver. We've had this discussion every time we talk about Angie. Uh, it was kind of a frenzy when we saw her outside of the arena in Asheville. We
1: didn't know where we were going. It was right before we met the two Debbies and we were <laughs> things were we were we were harassed a bit. Not by Angie, just the situation was a har- harassment. Right. We didn't know what was going on.
3: I wasn't at my best. So I'm guessing I didn't make a lot of sense even more so than normal. But Angie, thanks for saying hello. Thanks for being there to support the Tarios even though you couldn't actually go to the game and we always appreciate seeing folks who who listen to the pod. To birthday shout-outs, greetings, what have you.
1: The f- Whatever the kids are calling it today.
3: The first is belated, and it's for David Smith II. Mm. He turned 30 on November 26th. Me, me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is an officer in the United States Army. The stars had aligned. The way we heard this was from Raven Smith. Spoiler, that's David's wife. Yeah. And the stars were aligned, Raven says, for us to be celebrating his birthday at the Maui Invitational. He received orders for us to move to Hawaii in May 2020. And we had had our first child in July 2020, whom David is grooming to be a UNC scholar. But like the majority of this year, the pandemic canceled those plans for us. Raven initially had the idea to host a Zoom birthday celebration for him. But when she floated the idea by him, he laughed. See, I wouldn't like that either. How would you feel about a Zoom birthday party?
1: I would feel awkward that everyone did it to just like look at me and be like, Hey, Jones, we love you, buddy. Great job. It's your birthday. You made it. And I'd be like, Hey, okay, thanks. I think the first
3: like 60 to 120 seconds might be cool when you got to see the people. But after that, what do you do? So the other day when Raven heard us give a birthday shout out, she knew instantly she had to try to get a birthday shout out done for her love.
1: We're going down a slippery slope here, Adam. I know. I mean, you keep sugarcoating all these birthdays, (laughs) and it's just going to get us in trouble. But, I mean, not that we don't want to say happy birthday. We do. Raven writes, My husband
3: is a serious UNC fan and Rams Club member. Nice. Good job. Important to be a member of the Rams Club. He says Dean Smith is his uncle. The jury is still deliberating that one. So, David who just turned 30 on November twenty six listens to the podcast every day on the way to and or from work. He aspires to receive his doctoral degree from UNC. Wow. If all happens according to plan, our next move will be to North Carolina where he can further his career at Fort Bragg being part of the Department of Defense's finest communicators. I think that might be an inside reference that we don't understand. He is headed off to jungle school soon. Oh, And is studying to obtain his PMP certification before the new year. Do you know what that is?
1: No, but David sounds a lot cooler than me.
3: Yes. He truly deserves nothing but the best, and anything I can do to make him smile, I try to do. Man. She has it easy because anything Tar Heel basketball or football-related is a win in his
1: book. Yeah. Happy birthday, David. Yeah. David, you and Raven, I like you guys. Sorry it's belated. Yeah, sorry about that. We haven't—we— We haven't been doing much much anything here recently, so we had not been on the air much.
3: You know, the truth is we actually did think about it on your actual birthday, but the problem is we were in the pod vortex in which nothing was really happening. The other birthday is a complicated one, Jones. Mm Mm-hmm. It comes from Chris Jones. I remember Chris. Who you know as Lauren Marie Porter (laughs) Jonesy's husband, as Chris humorously said. Yeah. Uh, Chris got the butchered birthday shout out recently.
1: I really blame Adam on that one. <laughs> <laughs> he was intimidating me at that time. Lauren
3: listens to the pod religiously and her birthday is on December 7th. Oh. We are not belated on that one. So if you have 30 seconds for another butcher, butchering she would greatly enjoy it. But then I like this because Chris then texted or like messaged us back and just wrote december 6th
1: (laughs) hey we've all been there chris
3: so well i'm not sure if he purposely told us wrong to get us to mess up or is this just a joke that really he knew and he didn't get it wrong lauren whenever your birthday is happy birthday to you hope
1: it's a happy one
3: now we've we've just scratched the surface of this list jones wow many people sent us this hallmark movie generator Mm. mary mercer kate cockman several others and I, I feel like we should do this so that people can hear how it goes it's it's what's the plot of your pandemic hallmark movie okay so i was going to use you as my subject oh okay okay Are are you going to keep notes on this current shirt color what have you
1: got well it's blue adam as 98 okay. of my shirts are
3: <laughs> okay so that's unlucky in love mm. current beverage
1: Hmm. Well I have uh, I have water let's do water
3: okay that is party planner <laughs> yeah first letter of the last person you texted
1: Well I'm gonna have to see here okay and it's a B
3: okay? Celebrate her two friends finally opening an inn. <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
1: this, this is a good one. I, Adam, you've got me hooked.
3: <laughs> First letter of the last thing you ate.
1: Oh boy. Uh, Adam, it's going to be a Y. Oh, okay. Can you guess what I ate? A Yoo-Hoo? Which of these leading soft drinks gives you nutrition with vitamin A? You. Vitamin B2, you. Vitamin C, you. Vitamin D. <laughs> Let's just let that be the truth. The most
3: interesting man in the world. Hmm. Okay, now let's plug in our answers and see. Okay. An unlucky in love party planner finds herself stranded in her hometown during a pandemic lockdown after she came home to celebrate her two friends finally opening an inn. Against her better judgment, she falls in love with The most interesting man in the world. Together, they learn the true meaning of Christmas.
1: Adam, that is absolutely a movie I would watch and enjoy it from start to finish. I think the only problem is... I think... I'm trying to think what its name would be. I would be... I think it would be Unlucky N-I-N-N Love. (laughs)
3: Whew. Now, so that brings up the inevitable question. Did you ever watch the end of Christmas scavenger hunt?
1: Well, with three basketball games in 50 hours, <laughs> I did not. I am planning on it this weekend if I get the opportunity. But have you, have you seen it? i have recorded it okay well let's make a pact adam (laughs) that if we're both hold your hold your pinky (laughs) up jones if we're both 50 years old (laughs) (laughs) um so let's agree that tuesday's show next week we will discuss the end of it
3: okay that's fair also i need to mention uss christmas is out it will have several airings between now and Christmas, but go ahead and search it on your channel guide and set your DVRs. I recorded it, uh, I think, like last Tuesday at 4 p.m.
1: or something. I forgot to do it.
3: I texted you to let you I know.
1: Because there's some rumblings that for our Christmas Spectacular, we may do USS Christmas for Roadhouse Challenge. I think that would be lovely. So I kind of like Unlucky in Love. <laughs> That's not a real movie. Or is it? <laughs> um
3: okay want to congratulate uh some new 100 percent club members matthew carrick and jeff singer who said he thought he was in the 100 percent club i think believing is a large portion of it so i guess welcome
1: it, to the 100 percent club if it's in your heart then it's true
3: uh this one is timely so we need to do this one rusty sebastian sent us a link that frozen iguanas are in the forecast in Florida due to the weather change.
1: Everybody be careful. Be careful out there if you're walking down the streets of Florida. And mind you, I hope I don't have to tell you this, but don't illegally smuggle frozen iguanas down to the Caribbean.
3: Or if you do have a better plan than just putting them in your backseat. Yeah. Uh, Bryce tweeted us, this. little does he know how timely this is, he wanted to know if there was any concern in the Smith Center about players or coaches being able to hear you doing the games? And if so, if you had to be very careful.
1: There was actually some discussion about that um, before the first game, but I think a couple things. One, we're far enough away that it's not easy to hear us. Two, there's sound and music being played to make the ambiance of the arena somewhat normal so that's going to drown some of it out and then most importantly no one cares like Roy Williams doesn't care and the players don't care they're they have something much more important going on than what we're saying and you know for and we're nowhere near the bench area this year due to COVID restrictions I mean in a normal season we we sit right next to the bench um sometimes on the road and not that far away from the bench at home so um might they hear me every now and then perhaps if if we're talking really if something really exciting happens and we get really loud but again i think there's enough distance enough other noise and many more important things that roy williams and his staff and team are focused on
3: a lot of good feedback on the space jam pod which if you just didn't think there was going to be a pod this past tuesday there was it was a space jam roadhouse challenge david staley did the math There was a long discussion that little do all you know was actually much longer than what you heard (laughs) about Jeffrey's batting average. Uh, David wrote, MJ's mom said Jeffrey's batting average dropped to like 685 or something. So he started at 717 with a 32-point drop. After much math, David doesn't think this is possible. However, if or something means, say, 686 and a drop of 31, Then MJ started the day, well, little MJ, started the day 33 for 46 and finished 35 for 51.
1: That's realistic. (laughs) Just like the rest of Space Jam.
3: I appreciate David doing the math on that because, as you could probably tell by listening, we could not do it in our heads while we were sitting here. Justin D. uh, said, shame on us for not knowing that Looney Tunes is on the Boomerang channel and on the app
1: the boomerang app or just an app the
3: boomerang app
1: okay hold on i'll I'll go download it right now
3: we'll save some of the rest of these uh very important list items until next time i'm trying to parcel them out a little bit
1: i understand okay so just when you thought that you didn't have enough pod Mm. good news there's more pod coming We'll be back with the Western Carolina Rapid Reactions on Saturday. Then have already have two good guests in the can for next week. And there'll be more basketball to talk about. Carolina going to Iowa. We'll preview that on the Tuesday show. And then the second show next week, we'll recap that Iowa game. We'll look forward to the matchup with Miami. There might be another basketball game scheduled or rescheduled somewhere in there as well. So uh, we'd obviously tackle that as well if it came up. Adam, anything else? This was a robust, robust pod. Yeah, it was. So we appreciate you being with us. We'll be back Saturday after the Western Carolina game. We're on the air radio-wise, 11 a.m. for that one. We'll kick it off a few minutes after noon TV wise it's on ACC network I think our good friend Wes Durham has the call on this one um, so you know it's gonna be a good TV broadcast um, as well so there's that then rapid reactions afterwards and then we're back on our normal schedule at least for next week of course when we get around the holidays um, there may be a couple more weeks here coming soon where things get wonky but next week we're here and ready next week we'll be in Iowa but there'll still be a pod oh yeah for now, let's let Ed Davis and the Rizza get us out of here on the latest edition of the Carolina Insider.
2: I'm Ed Davis. See you later, Big Grits. When
3: I was small, we had nothing else.
2: Box of sugar in a stick of margin. A hot pot of grits kept my family from starving. Steamy hot meal served less than five minutes. Big silver pot, boiling water, salt in it. House full of brothers and sisters, the pot's missing. Pilgrim on a box on the stove in the kitchen. When I was small, we had nothing else.
3: Bit
1: grit. The preceding has been a Learfield IMG College presentation of the Tar Heel Sports Network. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate, not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate.